This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, and we're pleased to be joined on the podcast today by Giselle Ruthier, who is the Policy Director at Coalition for the Homeless. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, there was a story, I think, last week about the city's homeless population beginning to stabilize, the shelter population stabilizing over the past year, um, which is obviously just one snapshot of a complex problem. How do you assess the state of homelessness and homeless policy in the city now versus a year or two years ago? Are things getting better? Are they worse? Are they different? What's your general take? I think uh, it, it's okay to say it's stabilized, but it's also important to remember, remember that it's stabilized basically at record levels. So we now have over 63,000 people sleeping in shelters each night. Um, and to that point, I mean, I think the mayor has implemented policies that have led to that stabilization, but have not implemented policies that have been bold enough to actually turn the tide as he has, uh, you know, said that he has wanted to do in his plan that they released last year. So we're basically stuck here at record levels in unacceptable territory with 63,000 people sleeping in shelters and then thousands more in other shelter systems and on the streets. Um, so we really need uh, bolder solutions that are really targeted at at housing, uh, specifically for people in shelters. So let's let's before we get into maybe some of those bolder solutions, um, some of the elements of things that are to some extent working, right? To to at least break what they say break the trajectory of the increases to to stabilize that number has not been a small feat, considering that that number has been accelerating over decades. Um, so some of the things that you want to acknowledge that are seemingly working to some extent. Sure, and breaking the trajectory has has been a big deal, right? So between 2011 and 2014, we saw a huge spike in the shelter census, and that was almost entirely due to the fact that at that time there were no resources for families to move out of shelter into permanent housing. And so there's no way out. You're stuck in the shelter system for a much longer period of time. Um, more people keep coming in, fewer people are exiting, and so the shelter census ballooned. Um, and that was really devastating, and Mayor de Blasio kind of inherited that situation. Uh, the few things that he's done so far that have been helpful in terms of preventing that continual increase uh, have been, you know, reinstituting a slate of city-funded subsidies uh, to help folks move out of shelter, reinstating access to public housing in Section 8, although I'll, I'll condition that with we don't think it's been enough on those things. Um, doing a lot on homelessness prevention, uh, particularly with increased funding for legal services, um, rental arrears, right to counsel that just came out last year that's being phased in. So a lot's happening on that front, um, but not still not enough is happening on the back end to help people move into permanent housing at the levels that we really need. One of the things that's interesting about the shelter census number as an indicator is that uh, you know, first of all, it's it's a matter for debate whether it's a bad thing or not that the city has this, this obligation that that number obviously reflects. Mm -hmm. I mean, those people could be somewhere else um, in, in more dire straits. But it also reflects how um, how stingy or lenient the city is at, at granting people the right to shelter. Um, and that's something that different mayors have manipulated over time. How has de Blasio and his team been on that front end in terms of when someone presents themselves with needs, put them in this, into the system as opposed to making them, kind of kicking them out and reapply? Yeah, and to provide some context, I mean, over years, that's something that we've, uh, you know, we see families in our office every day that are, you know, trying to apply for shelter and go through this, like, incredibly difficult process at PATH where they have to 
provide documentation of two years of their housing history, um, all of these reasons why they can't go back to any particular address they've been to, provide uh, documented proof about if they've slept on the streets. I mean, just incredible uh, hurdles to go through. And so when Mayor de Blasio first came in, we were really pleased because we saw the um, the percentage of people being found eligible go up. Um, and at that, to us, that reflected what the actual real need was. Um, and we started, started to see fewer people coming in, just sort of um, in dire straits, wondering how they can get into the shelter system because they have nowhere else to go. Uh, since that initial period of doing better, things have actually gotten worse. So in November 2016, the city and the state kind of revamped the uh, administrative directive that um, kind of guides how the eligibility process works um, and changed some key language in there that, that basically allows the city to be stricter in how they look at applications. Um, and since then, now we're still we're seeing, again, the lowest levels of eligibility under the de Blasio administration, around 30%. Um, 30%, I think, of adult families um, are, are being found eligible that apply, and like a little under 40% of families with children, which is extremely low if you think about the number of families that are, have reached the point where they're entering, or I think they're saying, I have nowhere else to go, I'm going to go into the shelter system, and oh, you know, only 40% of those families are being found eligible. So, Is that because they're, they're basically really want to encourage people to find friends, family to, you know, share a home with, to try to, um, you know, stabilize for a couple of months without, without getting into the system? Is that, is that sort of the main rationale behind that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think their main rationale is to try and, you know, avoid as many people coming into shelter as possible. Um, you know, there are basically two large overarching reasons you can be found ineligible for shelter. And one is uh, if you didn't provide enough documentation. So there's that sort of bureaucratic reason why you're being found ineligible. Um, and there's a, a, the other reason being that they think you have somewhere else to go. Uh, so they've identified through all of this documentation that you've provided that this address, you can go back there. We're, we think you could go back there. Um, and so a lot of the times the family's like, well, I, I mean, I really can't because of any number of mm -hmm. reasons, um, health and safety, or they kick me out and they're not going to let me back in. And so I think there's a lot of that... Um, that's a real concern for those families about how to get over that barrier. And a lot of them have to reapply multiple times before being ultimately found eligible. And so that process um, right now is, is not great. And that's something that is of concern to us. The, you mentioned PATH, the intake center in the Bronx. Is that still the only place um, that people can apply to, to go into the shelter system? And is that continue to be a a real source of concern? So the PATH is the only place for families with children, with, with children under, uh, with dependent children to access shelters. So there are other intake centers for single adult men, single adult women, and then what are called adult families. So usually a couple, or it could be a mom with an adult child or a dad with an adult child. So um, it's sort of broken up by what your family composition is. You mentioned that one of the problems, 2011-2014, uh, was the lack of any kind of exit mechanism from the shelters. And one of the things de Blasio did eventually was to start the LINK programs and other ways to try to get people into permanent housing. Um, it's a kind of a patchwork of programs. Um, and I know initially there was some trouble getting landlords to agree to take those vouchers because of the problems with work advantage. How are those functioning 
now in terms of they've been, some of them have been running now for for a couple of years. Yeah, I think um, it's there's still a lot of challenges using vouchers. I mean, I think uh, overall in the housing market in New York, it's gotten so tight. Um, that you know, going out to even sort of the farthest places in the outer boroughs, it's still really challenging to find an apartment uh, that meets those rent levels. Um, but we still see issues with what we're called source of income, uh, what's called source of income discrimination. So landlords, you know, somehow they find out that you have a voucher and say, no, um, I'm not going to rent to you. They may not be that direct. They may use some other means of saying no. Um, but that's absolutely a challenge for uh, the thousands of people in shelter at this point that have vouchers. Um, that's not to say that people haven't moved out. People have. I think over the past two fiscal years, uh, 16 and 17, they've averaged about 4,000 households have moved out with the city programs, um, which is certainly helpful. Um, but challenges, challenges do exist, uh, particularly for those families in the long slog of trying to find an apartment that's going to be appropriate and that they can get into. So uh, you mentioned um, earlier on that you know the, the mayor's use of some of the housing resources that exist in the city, something he's creating. I mean, he's got his own affordable housing plan, and he's got obviously the existing Section Eight and and NYCHA systems. Um, I know that there have there's been a lot of back and forth on how much he's used either of those, but there's been some movement. Uh, I think on his part more toward toward your position of using more of it, but it's it's incomplete. So kind of bring us up to date on where that stands. Sure. So a lot of you know how we kind of characterize this is that the solutions to homelessness are are known. It's going to be a housing based solution. So we need to increase the amount of affordable and supportive housing for homeless individuals and families. So what the mayor has done is gone from nothing, which which was 2011 and 2014, and even before that, um, in 2005, then Mayor Bloomberg had cut off access to NYCHA. And Section 8. So he's gone from nothing to something that is better. Um, now um, the city's doing between 1,500 and 2,000 placements a year into NYCHA public housing. Uh, unfortunately, last year they did very few placements with Section 8 vouchers. And then, as I said, they've also um, have their, their new city subsidies to use. So that's incredibly important, but it's also um, we have to look at the bigger picture, right? We have homelessness now that's at levels we've never seen before, um, and we can't just increase a little bit, we need to increase a lot. And we also have a decade in which uh, public housing and Section 8 vouchers weren't used. So we have this whole gap of time where people didn't, people who were in shelters didn't get access to that, that we need to make up for in order to bring the shelter census down. Um, and those are, those are really key because those are resources that turn over every year, they're available every year, and that's something that can help reduce uh, homelessness in the short term while the mayor, well, what we're hoping the mayor will do is actually increase his housing production plan in the longer term so that you have those resources available a few years down the line and ongoing for that, actually increasing the housing stock. Accelerate his housing plan or just change the composition of it? Because the, the number seems to be pretty large. It, I think a lot of the discrepancy has been about the income targets and the availability of people coming out of shelter to, to find apartments. Yes, change the composition and, and accelerate for that particular population. So what we've been uh, really focused on over the past few months is uh, this extraordinary number that the mayor is housing New York 2.0 plan, 300,000 units, um, affordable housing units created or preserved. And originally it was just 10,000 of those units going to homeless households. 
as of the last uh, mayor's manager report, it said 15,000. So maybe maybe that's up a little bit, but that's still 5% of his entire housing plan. And to put that in context, I mean, Mayor Koch over a shorter time period did half as many units overall and allocated more to homeless families at a time when homelessness was a third of what it is today. And that actually made a real big a, a real difference in the shelter census at that time, stabilized and decreased. And so what we need the mayor to do with the vast resources that he's put into this plan, I think he's shown so far that he's in, invested in the plan, he's putting resources behind it, he's putting city tax levy behind it, um, but he's not targeting to where the need actually is. Um, and that's uh, specifically to reduce record homelessness in New York City and also the lowest income households that have the worst housing instability across the city. What do you think drives the mayor's reluctance to do more? Is it about the resources that would cost to achieve the same number? Is it about some concern about moral hazard, creating like perverse incentives? Do you have some sense of why he's been hesitant on that? Uh, well, we know it'll, it, it, the resources are more intense, but he hasn't shown really hesitancy to put more resources into his housing plan. And, and, and in fact, that's something he's done relatively frequently. So it seems to be, you know, at least from from how he talks about the housing plan, this sort of, you know, ideological desire to create housing for everybody or all income bans, when in fact that doesn't really match with with the data at that show where the housing need really is. Um, you know, there are units now that are being created under the, the mayor's housing plan that are for households like 120% of AMI, which is which is a very well-to-do household, and the rents in those units are actually so high, they're higher than market rate units uh, because they're adjusted by income. And those units are going, are, are sitting empty because they can't find anybody to fill them. Um, that's not an affordable unit, and more importantly, it's not a unit that's actually meeting the need for housing in the city uh, that's so severe. So he, get, he gets asked this question fairly often, I think, at least uh, I've asked him once or twice, and I know other people in the in the press corps have asked him, and uh, Jared's talked to him multiple times, and, and, you know, these questions are asked, and he says uh, about those types of units, you know, we need housing for middle class people, a teacher and a firefighter need to be able to raise their family in New York City, we can't... Um, you know, we can't not have housing for folks in the middle, and the market is very often not uh, creating enough of those units, and we want to create some of those rent-capped, you know, units for middle-class folks. Um, and it's, it's your contention that um, it doesn't match the need, and those people would be able to find market rate housing? Yeah, I mean, if you really look at the data, people that are, you know, at 80 to 100% of IMI that are making you know, eighty, hundred thousand dollars a year, like they're doing okay. Like they are it's gonna be possible for them to find housing in the in the market. Things are getting tougher for all of us. I think that's um, that's, you know, a universal problem in New York is the difficulty finding housing. But overall the market's like providing units for those folks. What it's not doing at all is providing any units that are remotely affordable for folks that are thirty percent of AMI, people who are homeless, people who have been displaced. Um, and, you, and that plays out in the data, too, when you look at how many households there are that are only making enough money that they would be able to afford a unit at 30% of AMI versus the number of units that the mayor's creating under his plan, that gap is like in the hundreds of thousands versus the number of, of households that are at the higher income levels um, and can't afford units. That number is like, 
it's it's much much smaller um, so from RV when you talk about where the need is and you talk about people who are literally without a home um, that's where you should be prioritizing your resources and you're also going to build um, build out a much more robust um, create uh, like a robust supply of housing that's going to be available to people at extremely low incomes over the long term um, quick, and that's an important that's really quick important. clarifying question yeah. when you talk about um, carving out a certain number percentage of units for uh, people who are homeless you're talking about mostly ensuring that either new units that are coming online are set aside for those folks or the stabilized units that are extended have some sort of, um, there's some guarantee somewhere that when those units open up, they go to folks in shelter? Yeah, so that's a really important distinction. Uh, we recently put out a, a short white paper kind of laying out all these numbers. What we really uh, think is crucially important is that the mayor uh, not only developed 10% of his housing plan, which would be 30,000 units for homeless households, but that 24,000 of those units, the vast majority, are actually new construction, new build. And the reason that's important is because uh, when you do a preservation unit, at this point in this housing market, preservation units are largely occupied. Uh, so when you preserve that unit for affordability going forward, it doesn't make it available for somebody to move into until it's vacated and that vacancy rate is like 3% a year, so it's very low turnover. It's extremely important to preserve those units, but in order to actually reduce the shelter census, you need to create a substantial portion of units that are going to be available for people to move into right away. Uh, so we make that distinction, and we think it's really important. And also the mayor has put in place uh, uh, ways for that to happen. So they've developed new term sheets for developers. They're putting in deeper subsidies uh, and incentives for developers to do that. And so if he, it's not inconceivable that he could revise that goal up to 30,000 and really um, make sure those units get built for the people that need them. So until and unless the mayor adjusts his plan, uh, there'll be the need to manage the problem as the city always has. And turning the tide, his strategy talked a lot about that, about creating new shelters, ending the use of cluster and hotel sites. And I'm curious um, how you think that's been going, what you want to see differently along those lines. And you know, last year, especially during the campaign, there was a lot of very toxic politics around locating some shelters. We had on the show Elizabeth Crowley, who lost her seat, even though she opposed the shelter neighborhood just because she was linked to it. Um, I wonder if you're anticipating sort of more fights like that and, you know, how you think the city should should navigate them. But what do you see in terms of how turning the tide on the shelter front is being implemented? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um when we saw Turning the Tide, uh, basically what we saw was that this, this plan for improving the shelter system uh, was a really good thing. But unfortunately, it was divorced from the housing. So, but on the shelter side, um, you know, getting out of poor models of shelter that we know uh, don't work, are extraordinarily expensive, are more harmful for, fam for families and kids, like cluster sites and hotels, that's a worthy goal. We want to be doing that. Um, the way to do that is not necessarily to only build new other shelters, but to also increase housing production to help move people out. Um, that's what we sort of feel is really lacking. Um, but actually improving the shelter system that has, has expanded, as you know, now um, extraordinarily over the past several years, um, in many ways, in ad hoc ways and in ways that um, 
where units are not appropriate for families or, or not the best uh, scenario. We've seen now that families are placed, you know, farther and farther away from their uh, communities of origin and the schools that their kids go to. So things are becoming much more difficult and challenging. So we need to, we certainly need to make sure that that, um, that the shelter system is functioning, that it's meeting the needs of people that are there. Um, and I think on that front, you know, the mayor is certainly making progress in terms of opening shelters that are that are well built, that have quality services, that will be um, a better place in the long run for families with with kids to be while they're in the shelter system. But we still need that second piece in order to reduce the number of shelters we actually need to build. That's going to reduce the community opposition overall, um, and also be good for everybody in terms of people who are homeless getting housing and the city actually seeing uh, less homelessness. So uh, they, the two things can't be divorced in our minds, but certainly the goal to improve the shelter system is something that's long overdue um, and, and will have a real impact on how people experience it. Curious, in just kind of some inside baseball, the relationship between the coalition and DHS, you know, obviously over the years, I'm sure that's evolved. But I'm curious, I mean, to what extent is it adversarial? To what extent are you partners? I mean, to some degree you're naturally going to clash, but also you are experts, you're folks who understand some of the nuances. Um, how does how does that operate? Yeah, and we, I mean, for 30 years, basically, since our founding, we've been the court-appointed monitors of the single adult shelter system. So we have this very important independent oversight role um, that oftentimes puts us in an adversarial position with DHS where we're saying, you know, where we have to point out things that they're not doing correctly. And, um, and in some cases, some more extreme cases have been forced to sue the city because they're not, you know, providing enough beds or doing what they need to do pursuant to court orders. So over time, I think it, it varies depending on, um, you know, the policies that any given administration makes and the progress that they're making towards meeting the needs that are people in shelter. But at the end of the day, our responsibility is to our clients, and that's basically all homeless people in New York City at this point, um, to make sure that their needs are being met appropriately and that we're also pushing for solutions to homelessness in New York City. Do, do you find that this administration is receptive to your policy analyses and recommendations? Um, you know, there's obviously sort of a, you know, been a lot made about having the guy from the outside now on the inside and Steve Banks, um, formerly of Legal Aid. Um, so do they sort of think they have it covered or are they, how are they in terms of re being receptive? And there's certainly a lot more open dialogue uh, with this administration uh, where we can be frank about what we see as working and what isn't. And, you know, we haven't been afraid to do that for sure. Um, and we'll continue in our role that we feel is extremely important to continue to push them in those areas that we think they're not doing enough. Um, but at least have the ability to do that in many ways, to, to say that to them directly, to do it publicly, um, and to really continue to push for, for our clients. So we're in our last maybe four or five minutes um, with Giselle Ruthier from Coalition for the Homeless. Um, I know we want to get to the state role and maybe a question on just sort of where the federal government is considering it's a new administration um, and a lot of uncertainty from D.C. Uh, I just wanted to ask before that, though, um, you know, it seems like related to the housing policy issues and, and of course, homelessness that can't be divorced from that, um, 
you know, there's a lot of controversy over how the city is using its vacant lots. Uh, you know, all this back and forth between the controller and the de Blasio administration. And then there's a lot of controversy around these neighborhood rezonings and what housing, you know, the mandatory inclusionary housing and then how that plays out and whether it's spurring displacement or at, the mayor argues you can't stand pat, you have to do this. Are those, are either of those or both things that you have focused on at all or, or not? I mean, they're certainly related to the overall plan of, of reaching a point in the city where we are creating enough affordable housing for those who need it. Um, so, I mean, we, we certainly are aware of them as they relate to the larger uh, market conditions that are making it difficult to use vouchers across the city or making it difficult to develop housing. Uh, but they're not prohibitive for, for the mayor to actually be doing more. Um, and they have built in quite a few incentives for developers to more deeply subsidize units. They're providing that money. Um, they could be providing more um, support to nonprofit mission-driven driv developers to acquire land. That's a much that's a very difficult process at, at the outset um, to then develop housing that's going to be affordable and for folks who are currently in the shelter system. So there are challenges overall in the housing market for sure. And I think I think we all know that and need to recognize that, but are certainly, uh, there are ways for us to deal with those challenges now and we have some of those tools in our, our hands and um, the mayor can use those tools to, to really advance his housing policy to uh, decrease homelessness. And so you're not generally against um, sort of upzoning in, in lower income neighborhoods, which is very often the case in this housing plan to create more density. That's not something that you oppose. You want to see, like with the rest of the housing plan, you want to see the numbers uh, a little bit different than yeah, they are. Yeah, I mean, where we're building new housing, we have to make sure that that housing both meets the needs of people in the community and also meets the needs of the city in general. And right now we're not seeing that, we're not seeing that match. And so we need units to be deeply subsidized, uh, affordable units, both for people who are at risk of being displaced from their communities and at risk of homelessness, um, and for people who have already been displaced and are currently homeless. So uh, I think you know, there are certainly a lot of challenges around that, but we need the we need the housing that's being built to to meet those needs. So when people see um, street homeless and view that as an indication that something's going wrong in the city, they're likely to blame the mayor and the administration. That's been true uh, forever. But obviously, the state is a huge player on this issue, and I'm curious. Uh, state budget is is still being hashed out. Um, what on the radar screen in terms of immediate uh, hopes or threats do you see when it comes to the state role in the city's homeless problem in response to it? I mean, quite a few issues. Uh, I mean, frankly, uh, last week, uh, Courtney Gross at New York One did this amazing piece where she got um, access to all this data that showed showed basically as the number of people that the city is releasing from, um, that the state is releasing from state prisons is going down, the number of people that are going directly from prisons to shelters is going way up. And we had 4,000 entrants into the shelter system last year that were coming directly from prison. And that's from state-run facilities uh, where they're not doing proper discharge planning and they're overall contributing to record homelessness now in New York City because of that. So that's a that's a huge piece. Um, I mean, I've been out to the intake facilities myself and sometimes, you know, when you're talking to guys, I'm very struck by the fact that almost every, you know, very uh, high number of people you're talking to are like, oh, you know, I just got released from prison or I'm coming from upstate. And um, that's a big problem. We need the state to work on that. Uh, but they've also kind of systematically cut off 
cost sharing uh, with the city on a number of things, particularly for shelter, but also for housing and rental subsidies. So the cost as the shelter system has skyrocketed over the past six years um, for, for families, you know, the cost to shelter has gone up about $500 million overall, and the states contributed just 5% to that increase, leaving the rest to be covered by the city and federal government. And for single adults, it's even worse because we don't get federal reimbursement for or we have very little federal reimbursement for single adults. And so where the city, where the state has contributed about 8% to the overall increase um, in shelter costs for single adult, 90% has been covered by the city. So they're really uh, shifting away from their responsibility to help pay for these resources and also to help pay for solutions too. So for the rental subsidies that the city has created, only about 15% of that is funded by the state. Um, so overall they could be doing a lot more in terms of um, kind of meeting their responsibilities um, as a government to provide for the citizens of New York City and to help uh, address the crisis by a greater funding for housing resources. And I don't know that we have many answers on the federal level, but um, what what are your thoughts about what's, you know, the signs coming out of D.C., I mean, it seems like even less favorable than what we see out of Albany. It's a big concern. I think, um, you know, at the moment, uh, our, or certainly our eyes are on proposed cuts to HUD's budget uh, that would impact thousands of vouchers in New York City, um, would either prevent the city from using them, um, hopefully not to revoke vouchers, but may impact the way um, that people are using them or how many are available in any given year. That's a huge deal. I mean, we've the, the federal government has disinvested from affordable housing for decades, um, and we're already at a point where they're not doing nearly enough to provide for the need across the nation, uh, not just in New York City. So to make those cuts even more drastic is is just really, it's it's awful, um, and and it leaves it leaves the responsibility in the city and state to then come up with those resources. Um, in a, in a much more aggressive way, which is, is very challenging. So one thing, just to bring it back to the, the city as we uh, wrap up with Giselle Ruth here from Coalition for the Homeless, Mayor de Blasio has talked about sort of the new normal of homelessness in a city that's, you know, obviously growing in size anyway, an economy that's different than it was even when the homelessness crisis began. Um, and in some of your reports, you've talked about sort of that even a, a, a well-managed a shelter system and a city that um, puts a generous amount of permanent housing resources on the table, that we are going to have a shelter system. Um, and I'm curious if you have a sense of what will that look like in terms of numbers? I mean, we, we see the number of people in shelter as such an indication of the success or failure of a policy, and maybe that's inappropriate. But down the road, assuming that we are devoting enough permanent resources to housing, how big will the shelter system be? What do you think is the, the range that indicates it's it's healthy. I mean, I cer certainly think we would argue no no homeless people would be a healthy, would be like the healthiest um, prospect uh, available to us all. But unfortunately, we live, you know, in, in a city, in a state, in a country that where housing is a commodity. It's not, it's not a right. Um, it should be, but as it currently stands, that impacts how housing is allocated to folks you know, all across the income spectrum. So what we're really focused on now is is a way to meaningfully reduce the shelter census 
uh, in a way that a tra that trajectory can continue. So what we've seen now is either a huge spike in homelessness or just treading water. But what we really need to do is turn that around. And by starting with that kind of initial um, goal, there are policies, solutions, and policies that the mayor, that this, the governor can implement that will actually make that goal. As you know, when the mayor uh, when the mayor released his Turning the Tide plan last year, he projected a, a decrease in the shelter population of 2,500 people over five years. Not households, people. Um, so that's fewer households, um, which is crazy. We can't we can't um, accept that as an appropriate solution. We have to be much more aggressive, um, and so we're really focused on on those initial few years. How do we ramp up resources that we know are going to work? these immediate short-term resources like public housing and Section 8 vouchers, and then the longer-term prospect of actually building housing that's going to be affordable to folks who need it in New York City and increasing that housing stock over the long term. Uh, those are really important first steps, and you have to get those uh, in place to make that meaningful decrease. Just real quick to follow up on that as we, as we let you go, uh, and we thank you for all the time and the thoughts here. A lot of people were sort of surprised by the modesty of that goal, and even the mayor called it a modest goal when he said it, and we're, this is basically a year ago from when we're talking now, a little more than a year ago, I believe, February of last year. Um, if you were talking to him, you know, he outlined that as a five-year goal a year ago, so four years from now, 57,500, let's say, in the, in the shelter system was the general projection. If you were talking to the mayor, or you are talking to the mayor, you would say, you need to change that goal to what? Is there a, is there a, would you say? Well, you know, we've, we've done some calculations with what we think are our, uh, our realistic but much more aggressive goals, which include, you know, building 2,000 new units uh, of housing for homeless people every year for the next, for the life of the mayor's housing plan, going up to 30,000 units, 24,000 new, increasing the number of, of Section 8 vouchers in NYCHA. And with those projections, thinking about the number of people that are coming in, the number of people that are exiting, we could reduce the shelter census by like 30%. Um, and that's without additional state help? That is, yeah, without additional state help. So for the most part. Um, I mean, I think if the state actually implemented uh, home stability support, which is a proposal now that would uh, kind of, um, that would provide a more universal rent subsidy across the state, but particularly in New York City for people who are at risk of homelessness and who are homeless, that would that would be huge and that would actually probably increase those numbers to allow for more people to access um, housing subsidies. So there are, there are also plenty of things that the state needs to be doing in terms of providing housing and also prevention, um, doing proper discharge planning for people being released from state prisons, um, and we could make that, that percentage even bigger. Giselle Ruthier from Coalition for the Homeless, thanks very much for joining us. Thank thanks you for so having much. me.